Well, if I can get all the tears and everything straightened out here, we'll find our place in the book of Genesis, chapter number 13. Genesis, chapter number 13. Boy, what a good song. You know, you just look around you and you take for granted all the blessings of God. And we just every once in a while need to count our many blessings and name them one by one. It will surprise you, the Bible, the song said, what God has done. You know, I'm so, so fortunate all of my kids are in church and serving the Lord. And I told somebody, I, I invited some teenagers to our church yesterday. And I told him that our youth director was a good youth director. He just drools a lot when he sings or, or teaches, you know. And, and they said, really? I said, yeah, you need to come and see that. So man, I'll have to straighten that out one of these days, you know. Man, it's good to see you today. I'm so glad that you've chosen to be in God's house. The book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, and I began to teach and preach a series of messages throughout uh, the book of Genesis. Last week, I preached out of Genesis chapter 12 and entitled the message, Let's Make a Deal. I kind of got to cut that off of television. I think there's a program by that name. But uh, I believe if you look back in that chapter you'll find that uh, God told Abraham, unless you and I make a deal. Now today, I want to show you, I want to read for you just four verses, and then we'll try to do an expositional look at the whole chapter. Uh, it is not even 1130 yet. Did you know that in California, let's look The Bible says, and Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Let me make some a statement here. God wants us to have things. He just does not want things to have us. God has created everything for his children the same. Isn't it too bad he can't trust us with it? And so Abram is now coming out of the world, Egypt being the type of the world, and he's leaving the world after a stay there. And he comes out of the world rich in cattle and in uh, silver and gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. Now, do you remember what Bethel stands for? The house of God. So he's leaving the world and going back to the house of God. It is too bad most Christians think they can have Egypt 
and the house of God at the same time. They are in direct conflict with one another. The Bible said, if any man love the world, love not the Father. You can't mix it. Now notice. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Our Father, today I pray that you would help me to expedite the message in such a way that be honoring to you. Lord, I pray for every individual here today, regardless of their need, regardless of the situation. I am so glad I serve a God that knows the name of everyone here and the numbers of the hair on their head. You are so particularly in love with us that you love us and know us and I pray today Lord that maybe in some way the message would be a blessing maybe to turn someone in the right direction we pray in Jesus name amen let me talk to you for just a minute today on the importance of the house of God the importance of the house of God our sermons are entitled Lessons from the Life of Abraham. Did you know that Abraham, next to the Lord Jesus, is the most mentioned and the most important figure in all the Bible? Abraham has been given 14 chapters in the book of Genesis. Abraham is called the father of our faith. The Bible said that Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Preacher, what do I do? What do I have to do to be right with God? Believe, and thou shalt be saved. Just simply believe. Now, Abraham is leaving Egypt a different man than when he went into Egypt. Faithlessness. And carnality led Lot, uh, led Abraham into Egypt. When he ran into hard times, the famine, and when he ran into a people that was not generous to him, he began to look at the situation and take his eyes off God, and he began to look at the situation and his circumstances and forgot all about God and said, I can go down into the world and I can meet all of my needs in the world. He went down in the world and he got wealthy in the world financially, but he got bankrupt spiritually. He had a relationship with things, but no relationship to the one who provides things. He got caught up into the same thing that many of us on a regular basis get caught up in. 
when things are at our very fingertip, and when God wants to do for us that which we need, we instead turn to materialism or to carnality and work out our situation ourselves. Have you ever made a wrong choice? How many times? We <laughs> Thank you, brother. Had a man in our church a few years ago that was married nine times before he got here. He picked out the last one here. I would say anybody that makes ten mistakes might be apt to wrong choices. Teenagers, because they watch mom and dad make wrong choices. All of us have made wrong choices. Abraham looked at the famine and looked at his need and looked at his family and looked and he decided to forget the house of God, forget the altar of God, forget praying to God, forget all of that. I'm going to go down to Egypt because I've got a job in Egypt with a 50 cent an hour raise. I wonder, is there anybody here today ever left God out of the picture and trusted in this world to meet our needs? Abraham is leaving Egypt a different man than went into Egypt. He left faithlessness. He left carnal. He left caught up in materialism. But now he comes back a man of faith. A man that is godly. A man that is going back to the house of God and going back to the will of God and going back to present his need and all of his supply to the God who loves him and can provide everything. I read one day that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. Now, if I walk out in the parking lot this morning, I wonder how many horses I'll find hooked up to the hitch rail compared to the cataracts and the Mercedes. Wouldn't it be a sin for you on a car without cruise control? Or power windows? How would you like to be a Texan with no air conditioning? But as I go to the parking lot, I look, and it looks as though God's been good to some folks in here. If we should look into the third world countries and see what they have compared to what we have, I would say the children in Syria and the, baby, and the babies in Iraq today would give anything in the world to have what you have. God has been good to America. And God has been good to us. So Abraham is now coming back. And I will probably venture to say, 
that Abraham has probably told himself, you ain't never going to make that mistake again. Abraham probably said, I'm tired of the trip to the woodshed. Any of you folks that's old enough to remember the woodshed? And Dad says, we're going to the woodshed, and Gene, you do not need an axe. Abraham has been to the woodshed. Abraham picked up some things from down in Egypt, like lying about his wife. See, when you rub elbows with the world, it's not long till you pick up some of the world's things. Abraham, down in the world, traded morality, his wife, for sheep, goats, she-asses, and he-asses. And I think he was one when he was in the world. So he's leaving Egypt a different man, a godly man, a spiritual man, a man that's going back to Bethel, the house of God, and where the altar was, a place of sacrifice, a place of worship, a place of giving, if you please. And so he's leaving a place of giving to a place of giving, a place that tears down to a place that builds up, a place that's good for raising cattle, but not good at all for raising children. Let me show you just three things in 20 minutes or so about a godly man. You know, as I study in this, and I, I know you probably know this, but did you know <coughs> it's nice when I cough into this microphone, isn't it? That's a cough that's heard around the world. Let me give you something that is wonderful. In the Hall of Faith, in Hebrews 11, God does not even mention Egypt in regards to Abraham. Isn't it good that God forgives and forgets our dumb mistakes? Even in the hall of faith, listen to this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should have to receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. Didn't even mention Haran. Has not mentioned Egypt. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. Don't mention the land of Egypt. Don't mention backsliding. No mention of lying about his wife. No mention about trading his wife for a bunch of stuff. Isn't God good to forgive and forget everything that we've done? The Bible says, for he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I'm so glad that in our journey from salvation to heaven, God still 
forgives our mistakes. I'm glad I don't lose my eternal life every time I do something wrong. I'm glad God does not kick me out of his family every time I do something wrong. Of course, as perfect as I am, I wouldn't have to worry about it. You know better than that. Let me show you three things about a godly man. Just three things about a godly man. Three things about the father of our faith. Three things about a man who's been in Egypt and is tired of Egypt, and now he's gone back to the house of God. And there he found the altar. Let me give you three things about a godly man. What we can learn from Abraham, the marks of a godly man. You think about what identifies a godly man. And then we'll talk about the mind of a godly man. Let me ask you a question. How does a spiritual man think? How does a spiritual man face the problems and perplexities of this life? What is a shame is, listen now, we who are saved and have a heavenly father face our conflicts the same way the devil's crowd does. No prayer about it. No leadership in the Word of God about it. We reason out how we're to face our perplexities and our problems. Could I ask you a question? What has changed in your attitude toward life since you've been saved? What is so drastically and so shameful is Salvation hadn't affected our decision-making one bit. Boy, it sounds like a funeral in here. How does a spiritual man or woman think? Thirdly, we'll talk about just a moment, and I'm going to try to get through the mood of a godly person is regulated by the mind of the godly person. If we think like the folks in Egypt, guess what we'll do? We'll do like the folks in Egypt. If we think like the folk in Egypt, we will dress like the folk in Egypt. Christian girl one time was invited to a dance. And there's nothing wrong with the dance if you're doing it with a broom. And she wrestled in her mind about going to the dance because she was a Christian girl. And the more she milled it over and talked to her friends and her parents, they suggested, yes, go ahead and have a good time. And so the girl was dancing, and she thought about asking the guy she was dancing with, and she said to the guy she was dancing with, are you a Christian? He said, of course not, or I wouldn't be here. 
if you think wrong, you will do wrong. Notice, if you would please, the marks, the identifying characteristics. It's a quarter till 12. I want to keep you informed because you know at 12, we're done. You said, no, preacher, I was done a long time ago. You just need to get done. <laughs> right? Come on. What should a Christian look like? What are the identifying marks of a godly man or woman or teenager or young person? What are the marks? First of all, you notice, for Abraham to get back to the house of God, he had to leave Egypt. The first identifying mark of a godly individual is separation. God says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will be your God. Separation. Used to, I used to say, if one man calleth thee a donkey, payeth him no attention. If two men calleth thee a donkey, buyeth thee a saddle. The trouble with being in Egypt, the trouble with thinking like people in Egypt, it's not long till there's no difference in the believer in Egypt. See, we don't want to get Egypt in the church. You say, preacher, I don't like your church because it's churchy. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> if you want to dance, go to Billy Bob's. I tell you, the entertainers are so much better. I, I know the guy who's blowing on that harmonica, he's not saved. He's a heretic. So if you, but he plays a mean harmonica. But if you want to dance, go to where dances are. Church ought to be church. Where we reverence God, we exalt the Savior, we talk about heaven, and we warn a concern in hell. Hey, that's what this is all about. And the first identifying mark of a Christian or a godly man, the Bible says that he left Egypt. The Bible said that Abraham went up out of Egypt. He took his wife and Lot, and they went back to Bethel, where the altar of God was. Separation. Second identifying mark is sanctification. That is the journey between salvation and glorification. It's yielding your life. Notice verse 2. The Bible said, And Abram was very rich. In verse 3, And he went in his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent was. See, I'm just on a journey here. I got saved 46, 7, 8, 9 years ago. You get my age, it don't make any difference. You ain't got long anyhow. Amen. My wife likes me to say that because I'm insured very heavily. 
She loves me and my insurance. But I am just on a journey. I got saved 46, 47, 48 years ago. I have no idea. And I just got saved all over. And I bought me a Schofield Bible. I thought John 3.16 was a cubic inches in a Chevrolet engine. I knew nothing about God. Knew nothing about walking with God. Knew nothing about loving God. Knew nothing about a devotion to God. Knew nothing about God. And I bought me a Schofield Bible and began to read it. I didn't understand it all. But I understood enough for the Holy Spirit to begin to sanctify me, set me apart from the world, but set me apart to God. A Christian, a godly man, a spiritual man, you can see that he's separated from the world, but separated to God. It's not enough to tell these kids they can't, they can't, they can't without you put something back in their life that they can. Now look over there at all them good-looking young folk. They most will be here on Wednesday night. For Andrew to preach, and God knows it's pitiful how he preaches. That crowd loves God, or they wouldn't be here. They have separated themselves from the world, a part of it, and they are being sanctified, set apart to God. Identifying marks of a godly person is, what did I say? Yes. Is sanctification. A, the, the godly man is not afraid of sacrifice. Because he made his way back to Bethel too the altar that he had built. You see, when I got saved, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired of a stinking world that I had nothing to show for being here. Sat in my living room, four little old kids walling around in the floor, and I said one day, those four kids need church. They're all idiots. Their mother must have been inbred. Four idiots crawling around on the floor. They need church, I said, not realizing that Daddy needed church much more than they did. And I wrapped up my four little old rugrats and took them to a church. I made a mistake. I put my name on the visitation card. And Thursday night, the preacher came to my house and led me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, I had had enough of Egypt. Drinking, hell-raising, fighting, hurting kids and hurting wives, cheating and stealing, Boy, I'd had enough of Egypt. And Abraham had so much 
against Egypt. He went back to the altar, a place of sacrifice, and said to God, I'm ready to give you everything that I am and everything that I have. It's yours. The marks of a godly man. Are you listening to me? The marks of a godly man is separation, sanctification, and sacrifice. Preacher, how'd you folks build all them big buildings? I hear you've got a lot of millionaires in your church. They was before they joined here. Now I got it all. What's good about this crowd? You might be sitting by one. And you might be thinking, I need to give this guy money for lunch. And here, all of us are the same. At the foot of the cross, you don't count the money. You count the cost. Amen. I wonder today, do we have any godly men and godly women in our church that are separated from Egypt and the world being sanctified from the world to the Lord and willing to sacrifice to be what God would have you to be. That was Abraham. The marks. <laughs> Five minutes till twelve. As we move right along. The moves. You see, most of us take more notice to the moves of an individual, the actions, than where he is. Because most of us, I said us, kind of love the things of the world. Amen. Again, I go to the parking lot. Many of us are in debt up to here to drive the same thing that the folks in Egypt were driving. Many of us love the things of Egypt so much. Now, Mom and Daddy both have to work two jobs. You say, you're meddling, preacher. No, I'm just preaching. But the marks of a godly man, notice if you would please, the mind. How does a godly man think? Because how he thinks will determine his moods. Notice if you would please in verses 5 through 9. And we notice the mind of a godly man. Verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife uh, between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between thy herdsmen and thy Herdsmen, for we be 
brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate their south and pray from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. So a problem has arisen. There are too many cows for the pasture that they have. And so Lot, the young man, the Lot, Lot the loser, I call him, Lot the loser. And Abraham, the spiritual man, has a decision to make because there is an argument and a strife between the herdsmen. So there is a problem that has arisen. How should I, if I am Abraham, what kind of mindset should I have in the problem? How should I settle strife between me and a younger man? What Abraham could have done is saying, Lot, just check it out, buddy. God's already given me all this land. You just take your coat and hit the road. It's mine. It's mine by divine decree. It's mine by inheritance. Legally, all the land is mine. So Lot, kill your cows and cut out. That would be the Christian thing to do. Because it's right. It's his right. Because that is what we always say. It's my right. Don't you step on my rug with shoes on your feet. Don't you write another check out of my checkbook. It's my right. That's all you hear about today is rights. My right. Well, what about God's right? What did Abraham do? That's what he could have done. He could have looked at Lot and said, Lot, hit the road, son. All of this is mine. God has given it to me already. Just get out of here. Take your cows and beat it. And along with your drum. You get that later. That's a backward joke. That's what he could have done. And what's so bad is that is what most of us would have done. That's why we got lawyers. That's why we have contracts. Because we want to protect our rights. This is the quietest sermon I've preached in I don't know how long. Now that's what Abraham could have done. But what did Abraham do? What influenced Abraham that he had been to the altar. Read it and see if you find where Lot ever had an altar. See, there ain't no altars in the world. Please note, if you could, in your Bible, did Abraham build an altar in Egypt? No. No. There ain't no altars in Egypt. We run the show in Egypt. We're in control in Egypt. 
My rights is what's important in Egypt. They shouldn't have done that to me because I was living in Egypt. Well, I'm going to church, but I'm living in Egypt. I listen to the preaching, but it don't do me no good. My rights. Now, that's what Abraham could have done. But the mind of a spiritual man says, Lot, look at all of that land. Take your choice. I will relinquish my rights to you. You make your choice. You pick your land. And I will take what's left. Kind of strange, ain't it? Kind of foreign, amen? Come on now. Talk to me a little bit. If anybody's still alive, say amen. I know it's one minute after 12. You're not allowed to say amen after 12? Is that it? The mind. The mind. What do we do when worrying circumstances begin to confront us and the problems and the perplexities of life begins to knock against us, how do we react? Do we go to the altar or do we go back to the world? I can't imagine somebody having fraught family problems going to the beer joint. You know, I've never found the answer to one problem in the bottom of a beer bottle. Amen. Come on now. Well, a bartender will listen to me. I would too if you was paying me $5 for a bottle of beer. I'm not even supposed to sell it, but for that, come over to the house. I'll send you down to Easy Mart. How do you face worrying circumstances? How do you think? Well, they shouldn't have done that to me. I don't deserve this. This is mine. No, it's God's. And Abraham said, now, Lot, we ought not to be arguing. When Christians argue and churches split and folk get mad and leave, the world sees because the Canaanites and the Perizzites were in the land and the lost were watching spiritual Abraham and his nephew Lot. And Abraham said, Lot, there ain't going to be no strife because we be brethren. There's a way to handle problems and perplexities like a Christian or like the Egyptian. Amen. The mind determines the mood. And he went back to that. Isn't that neat? When Abraham had enough of Egypt, he went back to Bethel. And what's so good as I close? I look at old loser Lot, bless his heart. He acted just like a bunch of us. 
Adam acted with divine restraint. There's some things we Christians just do not need to be doing. And there are places we Christians ought not to be going. Because somebody will recognize you sure as the world. My wife and I went to Hawaii once and for all. I'm still crippled from riding that airplane. I'm telling you, they put me on the inside by the window over a wheel well. What's an airplane doing with a wheel well? Dumb thing. And I'm telling you, when I finally got to where I was, I, like Abraham, was tired of the world. Well, I was going to had a wonderful illustration there and forgot all about it, lying about the dumb plane. But he acted with divine restraint. I wonder today, as the world begins to fling and continue flings at us, are there any Christians that would answer with a spiritual mindset? It might be a good place to raise cattle. It's a bad place to raise kids. And I watch our church members leaving church for kids playing peewee ball. You say, well, you're going to make me mad? I really don't give a flip if I make you mad. How many of kids in our church is going to play professional sports. You keep them out of Bethel. Teach them to wallow around in the world. You'll get more character in the house of God in ten minutes than you will out there in Egypt. There are just some things you have to restrain yourself from. And there's some things, bless your heart, that you need to yield yourself to. Abraham acted in divine restraint. Lot acted with carnal resolve because there's no lot, no altar in Lot's life. Nothing. George Mueller, the great man who built all the orphanages in England, said, now listen, the stops as well as the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. When I just got out of high school years and years ago, with me and Noah, we graduated from the same uh, aquatic seminary. Begin to look and to think about my future, and I was working in a in a factory, and I was going nowhere, and I just decided to try to improve something for the future. I went and I applied for a job at Standard Oil Company. I was about 19, I guess, 20. 
boy, I passed everything with flying colors. And I just knew that I would spend the rest of my life at Standard Oil Company. And the employee agent there said, now, Gene, you, 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 have, every, you, you have the job, uh, but you need to take a physical before you have your job. At 19, I'd hurt my back, and I had a terrible, terrible problem in my back. And the doctor said, now, everything's fine, but as a final thing, you need to just bend over and touch your toe. I could not do that. I was not hired. Just saying, if I'd been able to touch my toes, somebody else would be your pastor. If I'd been able to touch my toes, Gospel Baptist Church would just be a dream in somebody's fantasy. See, God is in the restraining business because God has a plan. God had a plan for Abraham, and it wasn't in Egypt. God has a plan for you. Do you know God loves you so much that if you had been the only sinner in the world, now listen, God would have died just for you. If you had been the only person on this earth going to die and go to hell. Jesus Christ would have left heaven and hung on the cross for you. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves me. You know why? Because God has a plan for you. Yeah, he does. And if you'll come and allow him to save you, he'll forget and forgive everything you have done. And he'll write your name in the book of life and not mention in there a postscript he was in Egypt. It's all forgiven. Is anybody glad that Jesus came and died for our sin? I personally want to be a godly man. I really do. I want God to be in charge of me completely.